Good morning and welcome to Calvary Chapel. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11. The title of our message will be The Secret of Spiritual Fruit. Let's open in prayer. Father, this morning, we come in the name of Jesus. We come seeking first the kingdom of God in your righteousness, knowing, Lord, that you will add all things to our life. And Lord, that is our desire today, to to have much fruit, much spiritual fruit in our lives. Lord, life is difficult, full of trials, temptations, yet you assure us that our life should be a life that is with abundant, abundant joy, abundant fulfillment, and with much fruit. Teach us this morning as we look to you, our great teacher. And all God's people prayed, Amen. Every one of us here today, I believe, really want to have that abundant life that God has promised. In our lives, we we desire to have fruit, much fruit, spiritual fruit, that's just overflowing and lavishing those around us. But again, life is difficult. Think of Paul for a moment in our situation. Paul was in prison, a miserable place. Chains on him, sores probably, cold and damp we learn from different places. But the thing that I that I just marvel at while he was in prison, he prayed. And it wasn't limited by a location, by the spot that he was in. His prayers were getting around the world. His prayers were encouraging even you and me today as we look at them. Paul's prayer still ministers centuries later. And you know, that's true for you as well. Your prayers are not limited by a location. In fact, they can reach around the world even where there are no missionaries. It can reach out and caress and comfort and refresh minister and strengthen people you and I don't even know, but yet God can lead us to pray. I believe this is one of the secrets to that abundant life, but also the abundant spiritual fruit in our lives. Let's look at our text, though. Let's begin back a few verses in Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always praying with joy in my every prayer for you in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who had began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment 
and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I can't help but think about in the Old Testament, the high priest. He wore this special garment, the ephod. It was hung over him. It hung over his heart and over his heart. There were 12 stones with 12 names. They were the 12 names of Israel. They were engraved in stones. It was a jewel for each tribe. They were directly over the high priest heart. The high priest was to, to carry the people over his heart in love, and so did Paul. Not only was the high priest having 12 stones over his heart, there were six on one shoulder and six on one shoulder that connected the garment, the ephod, together. And again, the names appeared on each one. And it reminds us that the high priest was to carry the burden of the people upon his shoulders and upon his heart. When I see Paul's prayer, I'm reminded that. See, Paul's prayer was, it was certainly thoughtful. Thoughtful of the, the people and what God wanted to do in them and through them. His concerns for them. He was thankful for these people. He was thankful to God bringing them in to his life and that he could pray and he could encourage and he could pour into them. Paul's prayer was confident. Confident one day that God would finish the work in each one of them, that is the believers. And that day the work would be finished, they would be ushered into his presence at that Bema seat. They would have been caught up to be with him, what we call the rapture. That's, again, the day of Christ. Then rewarded for the work that he's done into them as they submitted to him. And all this was motivated by love. The love of God that was poured into his heart. And then the love that would reach out and touch people through his prayers. Just like the high priest. Paul prayed, and this gave him abundant life with much spiritual fruit. He was willing to take the time, whatever was necessary, to pray, to intercede. I imagine there were times just like for you and me when we sit there, we're thinking about those people in our life, and we're praying, and, and a smile pops on face, and and he just remembers the blessing that they have been. Something they went through, the changed life, the healed marriage. Prayer also fills us with joy. Well, Paul now transitions in his prayer from thanksgiving to intercession for, for these special, precious saints in Philippi. We can easily forget the best way to influence someone is really to pray for him, pray for her. In verse 9 he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more, even in real knowledge and all discernment. Well, 
this love is it's not just any love this love is is the love in the greek word meaning a kapeo it's a sacrificial love it's seen in god's loving kindness or god's mercy for for you and me in the relation to the believer this this agape love refers to a a love that is given by god not only is it given by god but it's shaped by the spirit of christ and is the guiding principle for Christian living. The Holy Spirit takes the love that's been poured into our lives and then guides us how to live and use this love in this life. Thankfully, when you stop and think about it, God doesn't deal with this according to his sovereignty and holiness only. No, 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 no. If he did, we'd be hopelessly doomed. But he deals with us according to love and then pours that love, as I said, into our hearts, that love that's selfless, sacrificial, a love of mind, of the reason, of the will, as well as the heart and affections. See, it's that kind of love. It's this kind of love that's in your heart and my heart that loves a person, even though that person doesn't deserve to be loved. It loves even when a a person who is utterly unworthy of being loved, it loves. It's this kind of love is compelled to sacrifice itself for, for enemies. And it's this kind of love that believers are to always be growing in their love for God and for others. Believers will never reach that point in this life where they cannot grow more in love and grace and the knowledge of God. Sadly, I've met in the past those believers, professing believers, say, you know, I'm just not loving. I'm not that way. I didn't have it. And they confine it to emotion, to a feeling. But this love is a a love that wants the best. It's a love that gives itself away. And truly, when this love is allowed to flow through you and me, then emotions and feelings do come. See, we can allow God's love to move through us, or we can say, no, I'm not loving I'm not that kind of person. I don't have those feelings. It's not, again, about feelings. It's about wanting the best and giving ourselves to that person. Notice again in verse 9 that abounding, overflowing love, that your love may abound still more and more and more. Paul's praying that their love will continually be overflowing and a perpetual flood of love. And and I thought about Rainbow Falls. If you remember just a a couple weeks ago, Rainbow Falls normally is like a little trickle. You see water coming down and, and depending on how much rain. But man, we had that rainy spell that come. 
And the water was just overflowing and pounding and it was wider and broader and, and deeper than ever before. And that's the kind of love that God wants us to be growing in. It's just continually flowing. Love has to push more and more out of the way. It has to get rid of this love so more love can come. Well, look with me in 1 Corinthians 13. Chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, we, we look at love. love. Love is patient, and love is kind, and it's not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a, a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. God is love, and if God is in you and me, then we should reflect this kind of love. It's This love is a abounding love. It's an overflowing love, and it's grounded and guided in real knowledge and discernment. That word knowledge... Epignosis. It means, again, that this precise knowledge, that's epi, means precise knowledge. A knowledge acquired from, from a further experience, but also a result of learning and perceiving. It's a knowledge of spiritual things as well as doctrinal knowledge. It is a knowledge that comes to the believer only through the study of God's word. And then taking and applying it to our own lives. The natural man, though, does not understand the things of God, but the believer, on the other hand, can understand the things of God. And the believer should have a desire, sincere desire, not only for the milk of the word, but the bread of the word, the meat of the word, as he continues to grow. In fact, that's how this love is to abound in you and me, because every person who has been born again longs for that pure milk of the word, so that you will grow in respect to salvation. That's instinctively what God puts in the heart of a new believer. To grow, every every baby that I've ever seen himself desires to eat, and if you've been born again, you have a desire, a desire to partake of God's word, to grow in that knowledge, to know him and, and know what he wants to do in your life, unless you quench the spirit, unless you chose to live the fleshly or what is called carnal life in 1 Corinthians 3. Certainly the scripture says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's a battle and, and we have to choose to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And our desire will be to glory and glorify Jesus Christ. The Christian life simply is motivated by love. And it's informed by love. Love, love wants to know more about God, and then we want to love. And when we think about, again, 1 Corinthians 13, one of the things I'm reminded about, 
without love, we're only clanging cymbals. Just a bunch of noise. But love has to have an object to love. Love, then too, will cultivate discernment. And then discernment cultivates love. And the believer uses that discernment to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. And bringing Him the glory, exalting Him in not self. So Paul prayed that the Philippian believers would, would have this ability to distinguish. Distinguish what? Distinguish right and wrong, good and bad, the vital and the trivial. And we too must pray for that moral discernment. So we then can maintain our Christian morals and our values. I'm reminded of Colossians 1.9. Let me read for you. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his, with, of his will, with all wisdom and all understanding. See, this thought you'll find through Paul's teaching. If you love someone or something, you'll want to know all about it. Stop and think about a person who loves football. They generally know all the statistics. They know the player. They know this game, that game, what occurred. Your children, you're excited to know about their plays, their sports, the things that make them happy, the things that make them sad. How much more in our relationship with the Lord that we would want to know his will, what's important to him, what's not important to him, what's sin, and why does he hate sin, and what does he want to do, and what does he have for you and me, that is the will, his will for our lives. This is why we, we want to grow in that love and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Look again at Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. We continue in our text so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless and until the day of Christ. That word approve means to try to prove or discern or scrutinize, distinguish. It has a notion of providing a thing, whether it's worthy or not. We do this because of our love and the love for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It refers, again, this same word even to the Lord's Supper. As believers exhorted to examine themselves prior to taking that sacrament, taking the bread and the cup, how's my life? How am I in my walk, my relationship? In fact, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 and 32. Notice what the scripture says there very clearly about this communion. It says, therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord 
in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink the cup, for he who eats and drinks drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. So first of all, that, that, that idea of communion that we're talking about here is, is, is really communion. It's, it's a, a relationship. It's koinonia. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. He's saved us from the penalty of sin. He's saved us for ourselves. And the question is, do we take it lightly? We are to examine our relationship, our response. Do we take it lightly, flippantly? Do we take it abusively? Because if we do, there's consequences for that. See, this is how this knowledge works, is we are to take and know, examine. It's just not to read, oh, yeah, okay. Paul goes on, some are weak. Some are sick. There's a number who sleep, and it's referring here to death because they just don't take God at his word. This idea of growing in the love and the knowledge of, of Jesus Christ is important because, you know, this idea of communion, and I want to tie these two together, is this is something we do in remembrance. It's what's called a, a memorial. And he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. If you want to remember the Lord, what he's done for you, what he still wants to do, we will be doing this even in our own homes. We will be daily examining our own hearts, our own walk, our own attitudes. Because we want to honor the Lord. This is the love that we grow in because the more we know about Jesus, the more we want to know about him. Again, that scripture went on, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we will not be judged. But when we're judged, we're disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. See, we need to grow in that love and knowledge. Are we in the place? Are we doing the things that are right with the Lord? So this love is, is grounded in knowledge. This, this biblical love, is, it's not just empty uh, sentimentalism. But it's anchored deeply in the truth of Scripture. In fact, this love is shaped by it, guided by it. This love is not blind, but it's perceptive. It scrutinizes. It, it's distinguishing between right and wrong. Continually. And just as the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, so the Holy Spirit enables us to discern how love should operate. And finally, the love in which the Christian should be filled with must be a, a discriminating love. Paul says that we are to discern what's best. Look on the screen. Notice this says, 
again in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, but examine everything carefully. But hold fast that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. In Hebrews, it says, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So again, we see that this love is according to knowledge. That's why we're to to grow in this love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not just saying a sinner's prayer, Lord, save me, and then we go and do our own thing. But this knowledge leads a believer to the ability to distinguish those things that are truly important and establish the right priorities in our life. This is a a growing love. It's needed to prove the things that are excellent. It's not just to, to know right or wrong or to do what is right, but the choice between good and excellent in our text. That that's just acceptable and best. And whatever we do, we do for the glory of God, and we should want to give him our best, the excellent. The scripture says it again and again. And not to do that is not giving God my best, is not producing spiritual fruit. In fact, that as a believer would be the carnal lifestyle is still living for self and comfort and based upon our fleshly thing. But as we continue to press on, as we continue to grow, as we continue to reach out, as the scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God is righteous, he'll add all things. He'll, he'll add knowledge. He'll add strength. He'll add love. He'll add whatever you need. So that simple principle by growing in his love and grace We're stirred to choose the excellent, the very best, the best for God, the best for us, the best for our family, the best for our friends, and we'll be praying that. We'll be interceding for that. And the more we love the Lord, the more we choose the excellent and the best. It's not how little can I do or what can I just do so things are acceptable. I want the best. The more we love each other, the more we choose that excellent and the best for each other. And that growing love will not want to do anything that would even come close to causing another person to stumble. Romans again in chapter 12, so that you are to prove what the will of God is, that it, that is good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. Luke twelve fifty six. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. You hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth, the sky. Why do you not analyze this present time? And, and, and sometimes people can be like that in the body of Christ. They're totally unaware of what's right or wrong. Whether the Lord's in it, the Lord's not in it. See, these Pharisees were, were not pure. They weren't sincere. They weren't genuine. And nor were they blameless. 
which could be translated as without offense. No, they were offensive and they were hypocrites. And sometimes within the body of Christ, I've heard people say, you know, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And why I think there may be a little hypocrisy in all of us that God's rooting out, there are within the body of Christ the wheat and the tares. There are some that are truly hypocrites or not even believers. We need to pray that God would open up their hearts. We need to love them, no matter how unworthy or how repulsive, but reach out. Let them see what true Christianity and love looks like. Fact is, in 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read the, the Living Bible in this case, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all stand before Christ the judge and to be judged and have our lives laid bare before him. Each of us will receive whatever he deserves for the good things or the bad things he has done in this earthly body. Now, this is not judgment and condemnation. This is in rewards. Either you'll receive rewards or a loss of rewards. If you've not chosen the, 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 not just the good or the right, but you have not chosen the best, you've not chosen to press on, then you're going to lose rewards is what the Bible teaches, sadly. So many will lose so much while they'll be in heaven. Going to heaven to be with the Lord is not about just getting a ticket. Oh, I got in. It's much more. It's about having that fruitful life and presenting all that fruit to the king. Verse 10 uses that word sincere or pure, emphasizing a, a personal integrity, a blameless character that survives all the accusations at the day of Christ, that time that he's going to come, he's going to rapture the church, we're caught up to be with them, to go to what's called that Bema seat. Because God's wanting to reward you. So as we grow in that love and grace, he puts these desires in us that we would press on. And he's wanting to bless us and reward us more than we could ever, ever imagine. Look with me, the fruit of righteousness. In verse 11, it says, having been filled with that fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ. But you, the Christian, but your life is unhappy and you need God's cleansing. And you come to Christ for cleansing. And you must seek his way. And he will be the one that makes you fruitful. This will involve a more faithful study of God's word. For it is through the Bible that we come to know Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me, please? Father, that is our desire this morning to to know you, to know your Son and the Holy Spirit more than we've ever known. Lord, your servants have just come and we just say, speak. And we ask, even as we go home, speak. Bring back to mind those things. Show us the things that you would have us do. Stir in us a deep hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Lord, we want to be right 
in the middle of your will. We want to present to you the best because you've given us that desire. Lord, we pray that you will be blessed by your children. And all God's people said, Amen.